Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to Minisode 141 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain. I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I am Andy Stewart. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, I'm, I've got to be honest with you, Mitch. I'm pretty fucking hungry. Um, and the reason for that is just over yesterday and into today, I've been doing a leak cleanse. Okay. Um, which I regret. To an, an, an unholy degree. And how, are you be- spelling, how are you spelling leak there? Uh, with two E's. Two okay, that's fine. Although it's a diuretic, you see, so it does make you leak, L-E-A-K-A, quite often. I'm drinking, like, cold cooked leak juice, and then when I'm actually, like, like I need to eat, I'm eating, like, leeks like that have been cooked uh, with, God. like, okay. salt and pepper and lemon and parsley. To say that it's a chore is... An understatement. Uh, what it's supposed to do is kind of reset your thinking and eating so that I should be kind of more mindfully eating going forward so I'm not just turning into the fat bastard that I've become while I've been in lockdown or certainly not continuing down that road. Have you been feeling any benefits from it? Well, I mean, the only thing I've felt really is hunger, confusion and hatred for leaks. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, aside from that, uh, viewing this week, have you been cheering yourself up with anything? Uh, a couple of things. I've seen a couple of things this week. Um, I'm going okay. to start with something that I'm not sure how this one would sit with you because I know that you've got a bit of a rocky relationship with the films of this particular director. Okay, go on. I checked out Adam Egypt Mortimer's Arch Enemy. Okay, yeah, you're right. I do have a fractious relationship with uh, Adam Egypt Mortimer's films because I think that Daniel Wasn't Real is really, really good. And I dislike his first film, so I'm kind of hate, as much as I like Daniel Isn't Real. So, um, Arch Enemy, right, okay. So, I know a little bit about this, but I'm going to need reorienting. Cool. So, we've got a SpectreVision production here again. Um, obviously, okay. they, they also produced uh, Daniel Isn't Real. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have here is Joe Manganiello plays this kind of really drunk, muscly, aggressive man called, get this, Max Fist. Wow. Right? Who may or may not be this kind of interdimensional Superman-type figure who has landed on Earth and has since lost his powers. Right, okay, okay. And he meets this young guy called Hamster, another god-awful name, (laughs) and uh, together they kind of set about bringing down this local crime boss... Um, and over kind of over the, the course of it, there's questions asked as to whether or not Max is really this hero that he claims to be, and there's a kind of hopefulness that perhaps Max will recover that part of him and like be able to be the hero that the city needs, I suppose, or that the world needs. Okay. Um, some things about this are pretty cool. I think there's a, a decent amount of world building and mythology building. Right. It verges on a bit too much and a little too convoluted at times. Okay. But I think on the whole, it's it's quite good. I think Joe Manganiello is doing a good job as Max Fist. He's big and gruff and surly, uh, and he kind of fits that role perfectly. Some of the kind of uh, lower-down-the-table kind of names are doing much better work, and okay. they're much more 
infinitely watchable, I would say. Uh, Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is in here as kind of your, your main bad guy almost. Um, right. He's really good. He is essentially channeling the darkest parts of Dennis Reynolds. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, you can you can really feel that coming through, and it's it's all the better for it. Uh, okay. He, he's doing great work. Uh, Amy Simons is in here very briefly towards the end, and she's she's generally great anyway, but she's was, fine for what she's doing here. Yeah, um, I was gonna say she doesn't let, she doesn't let you down. No, but the real for me the real MVP of this is a, a kind of really short appearance from Paul Shear from like the league and how did this get made? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned to me that he was uh, that he was in this. This is pretty interesting. Yeah, he's basically covered in tattoos, sat in a pair of tight red tiny pants, and <clears> just <throat> like this mad methed out madman. And uh, he's just incredibly watchable in this performance. Like it's, nice. I think it's the first time I've seen him really do something like that. Uh, and it's really good. What I will say is I don't think the film makes it all the way to the end. I feel like it kind of stumbles probably round about the third act, and I feel like it kind of limps over the finish line. It didn't have the, the kind of bombastic redemption arc that I was really looking for. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I mean, it does to an extent have a kind of redemptive arc, but it's certainly not the film I thought it was going to be. That's interesting because I kind of feel the same about Daniel Isn't Real. I feel like it falters quite significantly in the last half hour or so. Well, that's certainly the same thing here. I really don't think it nails what it's trying to do at all. So what this sounds like from what you're describing is this like fairly solid kind of dystopian action film that doesn't quite stick the landing. Yeah, it's, it's also, you need to remember, it's got that kind of crime thrillery element in it as well, because, like, your big boss is kind of this drug dealery, uh, crime kingpin type guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, 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 you've got that kind of crime capery thing in there. Um, but not the best crime caper we're going to talk about this week, that's for sure. This is better than some kind of hate, that's absolutely undeniable. It's nowhere near sure. as good as Daniel Isn't Real. Um, okay. Okay. So, so a little bit, a little bit of a backslide in your estimation, then. Oh, I would say very much so. I I got what it was trying to do, and I appreciated the the thing about trying to do like a superhero film on an indie budget. Aye. Okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. But I don't feel it works for me. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. But I wouldn't. Okay. I, I actually I wouldn't rush to it. Okay. Sure. Now you did mention that um, this was not the best crime caper that you'd watched this week. No, 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 not at all. The best crime caper I've watched this week was part of Glasgow Film Festival, and it was The Toll. Yeah, I actually have also watched a separate crime caper, which we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, uh, The Toll from Ryan Andrew Hooper. Yeah. Uh, playing the Glasgow Film Festival right now. This was great. Yeah, I thought this was absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, do you want to take this one synopsis-wise? Uh, yeah, so uh, Michael Smiley from Spaced Kill List. I uh, plays this kind of lonely toll operator in the middle of nowhere, Wales. Mm-hmm. Yep. By the way, because of the leaks, right, I would have wound up hating Wales this week if it hadn't been for the toll. <laughs> okay, yeah. So <laughs> The toll's prevented an international incident. <laughs> it has, yeah, yeah. Diplomatic emergency. <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, yeah, uh, he plays this toll booth operator like, right in the middle of nowhere, like pretty much the edge of a cliff, essentially. And he is this kind of mysterious figure that everyone locally kind of knows. While he's working one day, this guy kind of rolls up to the booth and calls him out on some historic malfeasance. Right, sure. (laughs) And it kind of broadens out from there as we learn more about him and it becomes this massive kind of spiralling crime thriller comedy that is just immensely watchable, frequently very funny, 
often quite violent and just brilliant. Yeah, um, I thought this was superb. It's like you say, it's very, very funny. It's very like well acted, but also like I think it does enough with kind of like side stories and stuff that you kind of care about everybody in it. Aye. But I think it's really well made as well. But it never stops for breath, really, as well. It's like, um, for something that's kind of set in this kind of sleepy locale, the momentum never breaks. This reminded me a little bit of kind of Antipodean comedies that I've watched in the last little while that I've liked. Yeah, and it also had kind of vague feelings of things like Ryan Pose's low life and things, because you've got these weird, absurdist characters that kind of pop up out of nowhere in it. Yeah, that's a good that's a, that's a good comparator, I would say. I would say like if you like things like low life and things like Hunt for the Wilder People, mm-hmm. then I would say that this is for you. But I can't, I personally can't recommend it enough. That it was great. And I thought it was absolutely superb and had a great, an amazing cast, not just Michael Smiley who is. I have to say, brilliant and everything he's in. Yeah, he's brilliant here. But you've got, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce Welsh names, but you've got the guy that played Ramsay Bolton in Game of Thrones in here. Yeah, he's great. He's great. It's really weird watching him not play a total fucking arsehole, though. He's 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 still kind of playing an (laughs) arsehole. I mean, like, in an everything's relative way, he's not as bad of an arsehole. Yeah. Uh, Paul Kay is in this. And again, Paul Kay just is always brilliant as well. Paul K doing some more Game of Thrones stuff, I'm just thinking. But yeah, Paul K doing some interesting stuff in the last few years because he was obviously the headmaster in and in the Apocalypse as well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's great here as well. I think that, um, in fact, he's got one of the best kind of like sideline stories, I think. Yeah, and I've got to say, the Game of Thrones connections don't end there because the kind of big bad in this film is Julian Glover, who was also in Game of Thrones. Ah, yeah, they're everywhere, aren't they? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, 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 I absolutely cannot recommend the toll enough. If you get an opportunity to watch it, hunt it down, find it. I think it's probably still screening as part of Glasgow Film Festival, uh, so um, you, you might be able to still get your hands on it. Don't quote me on that. Yeah, but if not, keep your eyes peeled for it because it really is great. It is great, yeah. Is that your lot for this week? Uh, there's another thing that I know we've both watched. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay, let's maybe start kind of gearing towards my stuff then. Okay, now, I want to say that this film is already up there in my best films of the year, and we're only kind of punching our way into March. Um, if I see nine better genre films this year than Brian Bertino's at Dark and the Wicked, I would be surprised. Yeah, I, I, had, pre- I had seen this already, so uh, it was really quite satisfying to be privy to you watching this, I suppose, like over text uh, yeah um, so Brian Bertino obviously the director of The Strangers and The Monster uh-huh, uh-huh. one of them I really like one of them I'm slightly more ambivalent to I'm, pr- I'm, I'm kind of okay about both of them yeah I really I, I think The Strangers is a, a classic now I think it's, I think it's amazing I rewatched The Strangers a couple of weeks ago and I liked it but I felt like on rewatch that it was more concerned with being loud than being scary <laughs> but it, it, is, it is still really unnerving uh, to be fair but yeah but the dark and the wicked what you have here is you've got this family or uh, this husband and wife anyway who live in a farm the husband is kind of coughing his way towards death he's like shuffling off the mortal coil I think that's fair yeah mm-hmm. yeah he's like limping over the finish line unfortunately um, the wife of the partnership is having a really hard time dealing with it her adult children come to the farm to kind of help her through it and it soon becomes apparent that there is more at play here than just straight grief yes I think this is really cool. I think this is really exceptional, actually. Like, um, mm-hmm. I thought that it's genuinely really, really unnerving. And really, and when it's not unnerving, it just really harnesses you to the misery of the situation. Like, mm-hmm. um, it kind of deals a lot in, in uh, bleakness, but in a, like, in a couple of different strands of bleakness. Like, when it's not doing the kind of, like, I don't want to say supernatural. I don't want to dig too far into what's actually going on here. Uh-huh. But some of the, like, the, the visual stuff of the actual kind of horror of it is genuinely really, really disgusting. 
<laughs> yeah, but there was yeah, a like, few times you texted me and I, and I knew exactly what you were talking about. Like, And it wasn't even like, it wasn't even, you weren't texting me the details, you were just saying things like, Jesus Christ, fucking hell. Yeah, and I think like you knew when it started watching it, so you could probably orientate yourself <laughs> to what bits I was getting to. But yeah, um, uh, yeah I, thought, I thought this was really, really great. I also, like, I think that, like I say, when it wasn't doing kind of the straight horror elements, you had this very, very arresting, engaging human drama at the heart yeah. of it mm-hmm. as well. Also, like, I think that the fact that it's just set on this farm where there's just like no other houses around and it's kind of shot and graded in this really kind of like dull, washed out way just gives the whole thing this really kind of like it just feels austere. incredibly yeah incredibly morose and austere and you know what like you were saying that the strangers kind of deals more in loud noises this film doesn't this film's remarkably restrained in that way uh, but what noise is there is it just really adds to the like it's kind of I, I think in a way there's a, a quiet mastery to the sound design in this because the sound design massively helps to sell that unsettling feeling that just permeates the whole film like it's from the quietest little noises to horrible cowbell <laughs> yeah oh, well, yeah those cowbells can fuck off um <laughs> they were horrendous and, the film, um, and also to this film's infinite credit again in no rush no not at all yeah it's it's i think it takes precisely the right amount of time to get to where it needs to go yeah if you're not a fan of the slow burn then you're not going to necessarily be a fan of this but i would urge you to give it a go because like, like i say i think it's fucking immense um, the films aren't similar. The other film I'm going to mention here has a little bit more of a sense of humour at its core, but this film has none. One thing, one thing it kind of reminded me of, it put me of a mind of another Shudder original in terms of like the way that these horrendous visual moments come as kind of like islands in the sea of relative calm. Right. Anything for Jackson? Oh, aye. Okay. Mm-hmm. But liking one is not absolutely not a free pass like the other. Oh, God, no. No, I, um, I have to say, um, don't come to the dark and the wicked looking for lols. What I would say is, come to the Dark and the Wicked when you have an hour and a half in your hands where you're not doing anything else, if your mood for the day is kind of stable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't come into it when you're feeling low, looking for, like I say, looking for lols, because... You won't find none. Yeah, your day will be ruined. Uh, yeah, but it's it's superb. It's, pr- it's the best thing I've seen this week, and it's out there now. It's on Shutter everywhere. Yeah, amazing. Elsewhere, I headed to Sky Cinema. Now, I... Mentioned this on the streaming platforms a couple of weeks ago. Villains? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Now, you told me something about this that I didn't know. And I didn't know this either. Um, so I started watching it, and uh, it came up at the start that it was directed by uh, Dan Burke and Robert Olsen, who made a long-standing Mitch favourite and previous Andy vs. Mitch selection, Body. Yeah, which I was thoroughly ambivalent on. Yeah, and I think it's great. And um, <laughs> Villains, I... I just, it's Villains is comparable to Body only in that it largely takes place in one house. Like, once it's established its setting, it's largely in one it's in, in one house. What you have here is this couple who are kind of, like, fairly amateurish robbers, and they're kind of on the lam. Right. And they're played by Micah Monroe from uh, The Guest, and Bill Skarsgård from loads of things, but most notably for our purposes recently, It. Yeah, yeah, he's the, pe- he's the man in the Pennywise makeup. Yes, the very same. Uh, and unfortunately, in a later one, shrouded in CGI. Um, <laughs> so basically, their car breaks down at one point and uh, they go to this house and find this eccentric couple that they're going to try and just basically get some help from. They then discover that they have a child chained up in the basement. 
Lovely. Now, uh, this is not the first time in recent weeks that I've done a film where somebody who is a criminal goes to someone's house and finds somebody chained up. That's I want right. to say that this is not a subgenre that I'm trying to like, <laughs> like uh, uh, that I'm consciously trying to dig up. It was Bad Samaritan was yeah. the other one uh, that I found that in. But th- so basically, they realise that this has happened, and then so they basically go back up and they're like, "Here, you can't do this. We're going to take this kid away from you." So obviously, they're kind of held captive by this couple mm-hmm. in this house, and it's basically about them trying to get away. I really like this a lot. It doesn't waste any time in kind of getting to where it needs to go. It's like body in that way. After about 15, 20 minutes, you're very ingrained in what the stakes are and you're just ready to kind of let it unfold. Uh-huh. Um, it's got far more of a sense of humor than that film did. It's genuinely really quite funny quite a lot of the time. The violence is quite unexpected and quite cool. Yeah, I didn't have, a, I didn't have too much bad to say about this. I would say that like it probably, in the third act, there's probably like one set, it's probably one set piece too long. Okay. I would say there's a part where like the police show up at the house and they're trying to like conceal the fact that they have these hostages. And I would say that's probably one too many. Right. Okay. But that's about all I can really say negatively about villains. Like I say, it's on Sky Cinema and now TV now. Go check it out. If like if anything that I've said sounds appealing or if you like any of the leads that I've mentioned, because they're both superb in it and they get a lot of camera time. So like huh. um, if any of that sounds, uh, sounds good to you, then villains is on Sky Cinema now. Wonderful. And just the one more, um, I have been slacking a little bit on my Shockdown Saturdays. So, oh, uh, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mitch Harrod of the Soho Horror Festival and multiple episodes of this show huh. is keeping it entertained all through February and March um, as we get through what is hopefully the end stages of our final lockdown by putting on Saturday kind of double features every Saturday in February and March. Now, I haven't seen as much of this as I would like, just from one thing or another. Sure, but yeah. um, it's very kindly basically held on to a couple of films and kind of said, just like, check these out. I think that you would like them. And one of those was Robert Woods as an ideal host. Yes, yes, of course. So this is a cool one. I liked it. This was shot pre-lockdown, and I think that kind of like all the kind of editing and posts and stuff like that happened during. Right. What you have here, it's a, it's a straight kind of like um, four couples at a dinner party type situation or like a bunch of people at a dinner party. Um, it starts out as being this kind of like awkward character comedy in the vein of something like Carnage. Right. Where you get this kind of, this backstory of like a couple of people's rocky history and then they show up and you kind of start watching that play out. That part's done really well. Um, This widened out in story and in scope and in kind of genre bending ways that I didn't expect it to. And it does some really smart stuff on the way. I don't, I feel like it's kind of a cop out when you're talking about something critically to be like the less you know going in the better. But basically it's a dinner party and then by the end it's really not. (laughs) Yeah, this is really cool. It's kind of like, um, it never really stops being kind of like insular in terms of locations and stuff like that. Um, And, but like the scale of the storytelling ends up being much bigger than I expected it to be. So I thought this was cool and I just actually want to mention really quickly that Mitch is doing this um, off his own back again every weekend every weekend and um, when we get to the streaming platforms I'm actually going to give a shout out to the stuff that he's got coming up this week oh cool cool amazing um, but, uh, but yeah this is, a, but this is a really cool thing that Mitch is doing uh, head over to the Soho Horror Festival uh, Facebook page for more information on that However, that's my viewing for this week. This is a long segment. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think we're going to need to trim the feedback here because I've still got something to talk about. You sure do. I'm not going to waste any time on it this week. Nature Gone Wild. Yes, Nature Gone Wild. What have we got this week? Uh, so I was on Amazon Prime. That's going to come as a surprise to no one. Mm-hmm. Just looking through, let me find some big daft animals doing big daft stuff. And the big daft animal who drew my eye this week was Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> okay. Um, and I was like, oh, Dolph Lundgren in a film called Shark Lake. Let's do it. Here we go. Dived into Shark Lake. Um, wished I hadn't, because uh, it's not very good at all. 
Okay, how how old are we talking here? Oh, 2016, so fairly recent. Okay, okay. Uh, so, like, a less successful effort this week. A less successful effort. By the way, the thing that tickled me most about Shark Lake, and I'm not telling anyone to rush to Shark Lake, because unless you're a big Dolph Lundgren fan, you're not really going to find anything here that, that's particularly tickling. Um, but what I did want to kind of mention was the kind of disparity between how this is advertised on Amazon Prime versus the synopsis that's on IMDb, which obviously, granted, is either written by someone in the crew or by some unknown anonymous figure like we the kind that we mention every week in Mitch's Pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that the one on Prime Video is the most accurate to the storyline. And it is as follows. A black market animal trafficker releases one of his most treasured exotic species into Serene Lake Tahoe for safekeeping while he serves a prison sentence, right? Tells you all you need to know. It's pretty clear. I feel like the IMDb one is mis-selling this film dramatically because... Okay, <laughs> right. It is as follows. A classic American thriller where the lines between man and beast blur and are questioned. <laughs> no. No, it's, it's not really that. Um, yeah. Uh, Shark Lake, it's there if you're interested, but like I say, don't put yourself out. <laughs> oh, when you put it like that, Andy, I could have a fuse. Yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on. What have they been saying? Feedback time then, and a big thank you to everybody that's been getting in touch this week. A few of you getting in and uh, having a word about this week's episode, which was, of course, the triumphant return of Jill Gavargazian to talk inevitably Anaconda's Trail of Blood. Let's we need to thin this out because we have already been going for a long time, so let's focus down here, all right? Okay. Get a nice good spread on it. So, scale cheaply, as Caitlin Downs got in touch kind of off the back of the announcement that we were doing Anaconda's Trail of Blood with Jill. Um, we know that Caitlin isn't a fan of snakes. We know that she had a bit of a problem with snakes on a plane. Yes, that's correct. Caitlin got in touch after the, the announcement to say, listening to Strong Violent PC and my progression to becoming Indiana Jones is proceeding at pace. Super <laughs> fun guest for this week. Not going to argue with that. Caitlin, please don't watch any films that you're not comfortable watching. We will start maybe putting serpentine trigger warnings before things. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Good to hear from you again, Caitlin, and thanks for briefing another Snake episode with us. Mm -hmm. I want to say hello again on uh, Anacondas. I want to say hello to Dan Popomatic. Some congratulations in order for Dan. Got a new job this week. Congratulations, Dan. Strong effort. But yeah, he was having some midweek drinking this week, uh, something to which I can heartily relate. But um, Mm -hmm. he had a few reasons for it, which I often don't. Um, (laughs) uh, He said some very midweek drinking because I'm off work tomorrow, celebrating getting that job. And my strong violent PC homework is Anaconda's Trail of Blood, and I'm not watching that without an IPA in hand. Wise move. I can tell you, because I did follow this, because there was a brief moment where it was like, it felt at risk of becoming like a live tweet along. Uh, sure. So I had one eye on it. Dan didn't finish it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I actually also think, now I think about it, I was like, oh, you should, you do need a drink for that one. It's like, no, you don't need to, you like, you don't dull your senses for that one because nah, it's like, I was watching it with a silver head on my shoulders and I haven't a clue what was going on. Yeah, you need to be incredibly sharp to follow the plot of Anaconda's Trail of Blood. Agree, but good to hear from you, Dan, and congratulations also. Yes, anything else on Anaconda's Trail of Blood? Yes, I do. Uh, Andre Martin's Calor Han, discussing the fact that we were saying that we're reaching the end of the Anaconda portion of Jill's contributions to the show. That's right. To which he said, wait, you'll neither do Lake Placid versus Anaconda, nor Anaconda's Mystery Solved? Andre, we did kind of dig in on the notion of doing Lake Placid versus Anaconda. That's in the works. We're looking at that. We're thinking about it. Yeah. Um, Anaconda Mystery Solved... Uh, Probably not. 
<laughs> yeah, let's uh, adjust people's expectations now. Yeah, yeah, I would say that's fair. <laughs> I've got something else snake related and it's coming in from Cannonball Jones on Twitter. Can- Cannonball Jones has been contributing quite a bit lately so uh, welcome aboard, nice to have you here. Yeah, great name, great name. Great name, great name. That's That sounds like a witch's bitch's name. <laughs> Just finished listening to the Snakes on a Plane episode mm-hmm. and uh, see right at the start, every time you said Bobby Cannavale, I heard it as Bob Uncanny Valley and, <laughs> and now it's stuck. Imagine Which- a bloke with a face that's vaguely human-like but not quite there yet. That's a hundred percent what I'm calling Bobby Cannavale until I'm dead. No, <laughs> Bob and Cannavale, amazing. That's great. Um, good hearing from you, Cannibal. Thanks for that. <laughs> amazing. Um, I have um, a little something that is also that's away from snakes. Um, oh. Want to say hello to Turnstile Blues. Um, Sugar Ape on Twitter, who um, caught up with one of our mutual recommendations from recent weeks and got in touch to say Spontaneous was a fantastic recommendation. Ah, yeah. Very entertaining movie, great characters, well acted, made me laugh. Agree across the board uh, there, I have to say. I think that that film was great, very funny, very moving, some really fun splatter action in there. Mm-hmm. A really cool idea, feels very pertinent. Yep, it's great. Loved it. Are you got anything else before we move on? Yeah, Paul Downey got in touch. Something that really tickled me. Please tell me Strong Violent PC have an episode on Hell Comes to Frogtown. Of course we fucking do. Yep, you made it your business for us to have an episode on uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Uh, Paul, another one who's been contributing a lot lately that's kind of relatively new to the phrase, so mm-hmm. welcome aboard, Paul. Yep. Uh, last thing I've got as well is just coming off the back of last week's minisode. It's coming in from Chris Salt at Oblong Pictures. Oh, nice. Uh, just saying, lovely amount of contempt Andy can pile into the phrase breathy cover version. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, um, yep, uh, a lot of contempt in there. I, I remember exactly your tone and cadence mm. when you said that. The only thing I have more contempt for is leaks. <laughs> um, I have just one thing more, and it's just a, it's a general comment very quickly. A lot of people have been responding to the fact that we put some enamel pin badges on sale this week. Yeah, yeah, I've got a big massive pile of stuffed and ready to post envelopes here that will be going to the post office today if you're listening on release day. Yeah, to, to many of the corners of the globe. Yeah, no pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, really cool. Um, but yeah, we have got um, a, a little stack of these, and you can see pictures of what you would be getting on, I believe, all of the social media channels, and also we'll let you know how you can get your hands on one as well. Also, everyone comes with a handwritten personalised note. Yeah, you've been very busy. Yeah, yeah, I just, I, I, I like to be nice, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want to get want to get your hands on one of those, then head over to the socials and check that out. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And also, we'll, we'll maybe touch on this briefly towards the end, but we did reshuffle the Patreon tiers a little bit this week. We dropped the frankly fucking absurd £40 tier, and we actually lowered the £25 tier to 20 quid. And a few people have, like, upped their pledges again. Which is just amazing, guys. Thank you very much. Very, very kind indeed. Yes. But yeah, we, we did kind of, we did reshuffle some things. So if you want to get some ridiculous stuff like me recording the Sunshine Kid in a musical style of your choosing and things like that, as well as everything that you get on the other tiers, then uh, it's never been cheaper. Go take yeah, a look. it's never been cheaper. Uh, by the way, guys, as well, other news this week. Looks like I'm going to be doing another film. Finally, Mitch, this, uh, the end game that you so frequently talk about may be coming to fruition. Yeah, I did say that we've collaborated on so many things at this point the series arc is that um we work on a film together and it looks like yeah you're getting back in the game yeah yeah that's kind of that's all come together incredibly quickly <laughs> so yeah, uh yeah very exciting just, time just keep, keep one eye on nicola sturgeon and as soon as she says that we can have a bit more freedom 
then we'll get I'll get the wheels spinning properly on that. But uh, certainly the the key players are coming together. Very exciting indeed. Very excited to be on the team as well. Yeah, yeah. Just just do a good job. I'll do my best. So <laughs> moving on. Yeah. Which is pitches time then. This is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster of a horror film from years gone by. He'll have photoshopped out the title and the tagline in any other identifying text and leave only the image. It will fall to me to describe the image to the best of my ability and where possible give it a title and a synopsis based on the image alone. We will also share this on social media so you guys can join in as well. As you did last week with visiting hours, which I reappropriated as Ghost Patrol. Sure you did, yes, yeah, yeah. Which I think that like everyone seems to quite enjoy against their better judgement. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think it's your finest work, but I do like it. <laughs> Thanks. So a whole bunch of people getting in touch this week um, with a broad, broad spectrum of stuff. Uh, CP Buckley on Instagram. One night in New York City can change everything, especially for Sam Hain, <laughs> a New York paramedic on his first night shift. When he gets a call to a suspected murder scene, he finds himself in the midst of a voodoo ritual that puts a strange demonic force into his body. When Sam wakes, he finds himself in the hospital with everyone around him dead and his clothes soaked in blood. A mysterious voice speaks to him and tells him he has one more target, Herman Hardon, the man who sent him to hell in the first place. Herman just so happens to be in the hospital, having a curious wart removed from a sensitive area. Now Sam must find the demon inside him, and Herman must find a way to stop him despite being heavily anaesthetised. <laughs> It's a 1995 B-movie curio, The Hard-On Factor 4, Appointment Death. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Michael Park. Mark Webley has just got a brand new job working as a janitor at Large Jester Hospital, but things begin to take a turn for the worst when, on his first day, he's handed a giant syringe gun by a cackling surgeon and told to shoot a load of rats which are scuttling about the corridors of the hospital. This is a very 90s reference, but I'm here for it. <laughs> When patients come in complaining of bloaty head, king complex and alien DNA start dying despite the diseases being preventable, he knows that some malignant omniscient figure has probably forgotten to pause things while they've gone to make a cup of tea. From Bullfrog Productions, it's 1997 Scream Hospital. <laughs> okay. Uh, Guy Reeford, noticing what I was noticing. Uh, VHS 4, the hospital archives. I thought massive VHS thing on the uh, artwork. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kim Millward. Actually, Kim and Guy teaming up together here. Uh, Kim coming up with uh, Teens Discover a Haunted ZX Spectrum. <laughs> and um, a guy suggesting that they end up being sucked into the machine and playing the games like Manic Miner, Jet Set Willy, and Night Lore. Oh, and wow. uh, Kim rounded things off with the title Spooktrum. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, okay. Got you. So a nice bit of teamwork from Kim and Guy there. I don't, not the first time that they've collaborated, if I'm not mistaken. No, I think that happened before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, quite like that. Um, Canel then. It's a race against time for Dr. Samuel Batticrease to get to the bottom <laughs> of a mysterious strain of MRSA, which is causing patients to shit out their entire skeletons in 1985's scatological body horror, Arspital Hospital. <laughs> Cosmic Ray Girl, Dr. A. Felabom, runs an STI and stand-up comedy clinic at St. Christ on a Bike Hospital. <laughs> That's amazing. Will his clients be tickled pink or is their pink just tickly? Find out in 1985's The Volva Underground. Jesus Christ. It's a great hospital name. Amazing. Hanny underscore Ray, Hannah on Twitter. Things look bleak in Toyland when Nori discovers the new toy hospital is actually a spare part harvesting racket preying on his unsuspecting friends. <laughs> It's 1992's stop motion misstep Noddy in the Death Spittle. James Rodriguez, after drop kicking a kid from the last Lego hospital set, Morty Mamory brushes off an ominous warning given by the child's grandmother. If only he took heed of her words, as the set contains something else among the pieces a deadly curse. 
Now, whenever he steps somewhere, Morty feels the searing pain of Lego pieces underneath his feet. That is the worst. Oh, terrible. Uh, the, the only thing worse is a plug. Yeah, agreed. How long can he survive with such immense torment? Find out in the feature Brick and Morty. <laughs> right, okay. Suitable for ages 10 and up. Laura Bynan, somebody summoned spirits to St. Stephen's Hospital. It's up to New Order... It's up to New Orderly Tamar Gotchi to save the day <laughs> in, in 1989's GT of Scare. Okay. Like that a lot. Good, I like that. Uh, just a couple more to get through. Uh, so Horror Festival, Mitch just simply tweeted, Tory-funded NHS. <laughs> Kevin Matthews, when the spirit of Clive Sinclair escapes from his cryogenically frozen body and takes over the hospital building it was housed in, people start to be killed off in various lo-fi video game ways. Plucky oh. gamer geek Chip Megaman <laughs> looks set to be the only one who can survive the dark challenges. But it's still true that nobody can waggle their joystick fast enough to keep <laughs> to keep winning any hurdle races in Daily Thompson's Decathlon. <laughs> it's a 1992 chiller spectrum of evil. I feel like Clive Sinclair somewhere is nodding along going, yeah, it's nice to be remembered beyond yeah, that like shite that bike too. that I made that no one wanted. Bill Carr to round us off. Beleaguered slacker Kevin Pamphlet reluctantly takes a job working nights in the mortuary at the rather distastefully named and decorated Big Dead Skeleton Face Hospital. <laughs> Much to his surprise, he starts to enjoy the job until the night he detects an evil presence in Fart of the Cadaver. Oh, wow. Also, I'm not going to reveal it here, but nice to finally have an insight into Bill Carr's real name. Yes, made an appearance on the Chudlocker. Very interesting. Yeah. I just assumed that his name was Bill Carr. I didn't get the reference at yeah, all. Far be it from me to uncloak him. No, no, no. We'll leave that a mystery. Um, if you want to find out, then we'll let you know how to get on the Chudlocker <laughs> at the end of the show. Um, so that's your pitches for this week, then. Uh, so we need a best character name and a best pitch from you. I'm going to give it a double spectrum whammy here. I'm going to give the best character name to Kevin. Uh, is that for Chip Mega Man? It is. Hard degree. And I'm going to split the nothing between Kim and Guy. Oh, lovely. Okay, so Kim, Guy and Kevin are three winners mm. of nothing this week. And what um, I will say is splitting nothing. No one's losing anything. This is very true. No one's gaining anything, but no one's losing anything yeah, either. Crucially. Yeah, you're no better or worse off than before you came up with your pitch. <laughs> and it's fair. It is fair. It's very, very equitable. You're nothing else if not a fair man, Andy Stewart. That's it. So, well done to all of you guys, and well done to everybody, because that was a really strong field. That, that was as good a field as we've had in a while. Um, yeah. So give yourselves a round of applause. However, it is now my turn. Yeah, you ready? Yeah. Okay. Now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think I can work with this. Go okay. on, then. Uh, the, um, <laughs> the border at the image is white with a black trim. Sure, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the left-hand side of the image is entirely black, so I'm assuming that's where the text has been called from. Correct. The right-hand side of the image, we are looking head-on at a telephone box. Now, this is a relatively simple image, really. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there is a, a blonde woman who appears to be naked, has her hands crossed over her chest, her eyes are closed. She may be dead or sleeping. I think she's wearing a nightdress, actually, Mitch. If you look at oh. her breast area and her stomach area, you'll see... You're, you're, quite, you're quite right. You're quite right. Pieces. I apologise. Yeah, mm. cheerfully withdrawn. Uh, she is wearing a nightdress. Uh, but yes, she is asleep and uh, or dead. And it appears to be that the phone box is also filled with flowers. If you could imagine, like, a Mina Sivari in the bed in American Beauty situation. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like that, except it's in a phone box and it is vertical instead of horizontal. It's also vaguely reminiscent of Laura Palmer upright in a phone box, although I do want to say I feel like if she had been placed in a phone box and chucked into the lake at Twin Peaks, it probably wouldn't have washed up on the show. <laughs> 
that's a fair shout. Okay, so there you go. Blonde woman um, in nightdress, asleep or dead in a phone box full of flowers. I, I would also say dead, Mitch, because she has the, the crossed hands of a body in a coffin. Okay, let's go dead. Dead blonde woman in a phone box full of flowers. Okay, let's not fuck about anymore. Let's move on. <laughs> let's do it. The phone box. Yes. Remember then? Yeah, that's a strange one. I'm assuming that they still exist, but I can't now name any pla- anywhere in Glasgow where I confidently know that there is one. No, no, and as far as I know, they're only really used for uh, drug transactions now. That is, That has become a large chunk of what they're used to, I believe, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah it's just they, they used to be so prevalent. They used to be everywhere. Ubiquitous. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And, and, and I've used them myself, and uh, now I literally couldn't tell you the last time I, I, I used a phone box. No, absolutely not. Me neither. Did you like the film Phone Booth? Uh, it was fine. Dumb. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I think I remember. I think when I watched it when I was a bit younger, I thought that it was like the pinnacle of like smart storytelling. But but I yeah. on rewatch, it's like still quite fun. I think. Yeah, but I think it's dumber than you remember it being. That's potentially true. Yeah. But on the subject of dumb ideas. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I have a pitch. Fire away then. Don't leave me hanging. Here Telephone joke. Yeah, very good. It's the opening night of the brand new exhibition from noted phone box artist Cal Collect. Famous for using the city landmarks as art installations to comment on modern culture, his most recent creation is his most incendiary yet. A searing commentary on unrealistic beauty standards, which involves up-and-coming young model Betty Telecom posing and pretending to be dead amidst a phone booth full of beautiful flowers. <laughs> okay. The exhibit is a sensation, but things take a turn for the deadly when an aggrieved men's rights activist kills Cal as the museum is closing for the weekend. Trapped inside the phone box with an ever-diminishing air supply, can Betty survive the night, escape the phone booth, and take revenge on the incels responsible? Find out in 1983's social commentary horror, Dial M for Marigolds. This summer, accept the charges or accept the consequences. <laughs> oh, that's been my favourite pitch of yours in a while. Thanks. I actually think that it's not a bad idea for a film. Right, okay. It's, 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 like, it's like Phone Booth meets Buried, or The Pool. Right, okay. <laughs> okay. Get it right, man. Like, don't leave these ideas just floating around and then get it abstract. Get get it on paper, get it down, get it clear. And, I mean, this could be the film that everyone's waiting for. Both Laura Bynan and Laura Ashley Carter got in touch this week to tell me to write Ghost Patel as well. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to hazard a guess that this isn't Dial M for Marigolds. It's not Dial M for Marigolds. No, no, it's, uh, it's, it's certainly not. Okay. What year did you say? I said 1983. Uh, okay. Just the two years out. Oh, not too bad, not too bad. 1981. And the film? Eyes of a Stranger. Eyes of a Stranger. That rings a faint bell somewhere in there. Okay, what's this about and who's synopsisizing? Well, the synopsisizer this week is someone we've had before. It's Matt Pate. Matt Pate, he is back. Okay, lay on me, Matt. A reporter suspects a creepy neighbour who lives in the high-rise building across from hers is a serial killer terrorising the Miami area. Oh my. That's it. Okay, fair enough. You seen this? I have. Yeah, it's pretty good. Jennifer Jason Lee's in it. Uh, it's directed by Ken Wiederhorn as well, who directed uh, Return of the Living Dead Part Two and Shockwaves. Nice. Okay. Cool. Both previous Mitch's pictures. That's right. I was just gonna say that. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. they were. That concludes Mitch's pictures for this week. Then, if you think you can top that, then by all means get in touch and probably do it. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, Ken Wiederhorn might be the the most Mitch's pitched director yet. Well, that's potentially true. I feel like there's a statistician out there that might know that. 
Mm, I could probably pull it together from a letterbox. But yeah, there might be um, an SVPC historian out there that knows their stuff to that extent. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, streaming platforms for this week then uh, not a massive amount but the stuff that's there looks pretty interesting Amazon Prime first then uh, we have nothing at all on Sky Cinema on Friday the 5th we have the uh, Robert Zemeckis spin on The Witches alright oh, okay yeah good cool so Robert Zemeckis helms another cinematic reimagining of the Roald Dahl classic starring Anne Hathaway Octavia Spencer and Stanley Tucci now I know a lot of people I really like the original I think a lot of people do uh-huh. I think that it's genuinely absolutely horrifying I think it's great um, a lot of people are very opposed to this one for that reason mm, I haven't um, seen this one neither have I I actually the kind of cartoonish way that it's shot and the colours being really vibrant and stuff kind of appeals to me I'm going to try this I think and I'm going to just kind of try and put my feelings for the original to the back of my mind which I'm not bad at doing I don't think when it comes to remakes I think I'm okay at doing that Yeah. Um, so that's out there on Netflix on Monday the 1st we've got Paradise Lost a backpacking trip in Brazil turns dangerous for a group of college pals when they find themselves held captive by a radical military gang I remember this is this from like 2008 or something it's pretty recent yeah yeah, well, I say recent, but you know what I mean. Yeah, is this um, Melissa George? That's right, right yeah. Okay. Also, on Thursday on Netflix, we have got The Art of Self-Defense. Tired of being bullied, a meek man, played by Jesse Eisenberg, enrolls in the karate class of an enigmatic instructor who introduces him to a sinister, hyper-masculine subculture. Ooh. And just the one thing coming to shudder this week for the UK, but uh, one that we've spoken about a lot on the show, just like this year and beyond, Natasha Kermani's Lucky. Directed by previous guest Natasha Kermani, written by and starring previous guest Bria Grant. Yep, so previous guests all over this one. Yeah, yeah, and do you know what? It's pretty decent. It's really clever. Yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, so this comes to Shudder on Thursday. A suburban woman fights to be believed as she finds herself stalked by a threatening figure who returns to her house night after night. When she can't get help from those around her, she's forced to take matters into her own hands. Now, this is the start of another really strong month on Shudder. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, some more really good stuff uh, in coming, which you'll find out about in the coming weeks. Also, this Saturday, if you're free in the evening, don't forget, of course, we've got Weekend 5, a Shockdown Saturdays for the Soho Horror Festival. Double feature, the theme is Pets at Home. Ooh. At 5 o'clock, you've got the UK premiere of From the Depths. Now, this film apparently uh, is a blend of animal attack film, supernatural thriller, and survivor's guilt drama. Oh, wow. Uh, which sounds pretty interesting. And that's screening with a couple of shorts there. You've got Peter the Penguin and Under the Lather. Okay. Um, also at 9.30, you have got Bats, The Awakening. <laughs> so that is uh, directed by Scott Jeffrey and Rebecca Matthews. And like I say, that's at 9.30, and that is screening with the shorts Gravesite and Suspense. And in the middle there, um, at 7.30, you've also got a live I Spit on Your Grades podcast where John, Chris, and Faye join Mitch and discuss their favourite killer animal movies. Oh! <laughs> So a whole bunch of really interesting stuff going on on Saturday there. And of course, don't forget, this weekend you've also got Glasgow Fright Fest. Jesus, yeah, yeah. Um, There's a whole wealth of stuff happening there, which I'm sure we'll be touching on. Yes, we'll be getting into that and the main programme of uh, Glasgow Film Festival more next week. Pick the bunch this week, I'm going to go lucky. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to join you in that. Now, this week. This week, well, I don't mean to show off, but uh, we have another guest. Check you out, uh, yeah, all over it. Look at us picking a format and mostly sticking to it quite a bit of the time. <laughs> he is the director of the new film Dementor and the recent Arrow player acquisition, Jugface. Yeah. It's Chad Kinkle this week. Yeah, and Chad taking us all the way back to the crazy hazy days of 1988. 
Mm-hmm. What would you have been? You'd have been like one. I'd have been two. Oh, okay. Um, okay. D- like uh, d- depending on uh, depending on where we are in the year, I would have been one or two. Of course, of course. And the film is the unnameable H.P. Lovecraft, right? Uh, yes, yes, yeah, loosely. Mm-hmm. Curious stuff. Now, if you want to check this out, it is on YouTube. It is, yeah. There's a perfectly usable version that will be what I will be using for this, um, <laughs> just to get a little bit of uniformity across the board. But yes, uh, the mentor and Jugface director Chad Kinkle joins us this week. We are talking the unnameable. How do you feel about that? Get in touch with us and let us know. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. Email StrongLanguageViolentScenes at gmail.com, although I'm considering retiring that as a feedback method. And um, <laughs> you can also join the conversation and discover the true identity of Bill Carr by joining our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. <laughs> That's really what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Patreon. Yeah, like I said a minute ago, we rejigged some of our tiers this week. So yeah, pop along and have a little look. See if anything kind of gets your juices flowing. It's uh, patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes yeah and as you mentioned earlier Andy big thank you to everybody who kind of let up their pledge this week because a couple of people did do that mm-hmm. um, yeah nobody will be paying any more obviously but some of you could be paying less and if you've been curious about upgrading you might get a little bit more bang for your buck than you did before yep and content wise more coming this week absolutely however we're back this Friday in the main feeds we're talking the unnameable with Chad Kinkle join us then if you can in the meantime don't forget it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads goodbye bye guys You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.